Arr, it be the curse of Monday. <laughs> That's the thing about Pirate Christian Radio. We have a leaky boat sometimes. Ah, <laughs> uh, you're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Hope you all have a, had a great weekend. Actually, I spent most of my weekend working. Uh, yeah. The challenges of uh, running a couple of companies and trying to make sure that uh, everything is hitting on the right cylinder so that uh, all of our customers, radio and alike, are being taken care of. Hey, I'm Chris Rosebro. Uh, I'm your servant in Christ here to dish up a, a, a dose of uh, biblical discernment and to uh, really, you know, take take some wild thoughts out there and make them captive to Christ, those wildly disobedient thoughts that are running around of all places, get this, the church. <laughs> In fact, uh, I, I'd be the first person to tell you that uh, church is probably one of the most dangerous places you can be, <laughs> especially nowadays. There's this creeping fog that's, uh, it, it's, it's like the uh, angel of death from Egypt. <laughs> From the story of Egypt, and it's it's creeping into all these churches and turning out the light of the gospel. All right, I got a question for you. Uh, we're not going to start with email today. Um, uh, if you pastors out there that are Protestant pastors, help me out here. Um, how do you bless a motorcycle? Where in the scriptures do you see that? And uh, and what's the ritual involved? Because. Uh, the Oaks Fellowship, that's the church that brought us the uh, Dr. Seuss uh, sermon series, the Theologans for Your Noggins, and such wonderfully loving, lovable characters as Zucchini. Uh, the, uh, yeah, the Bible storytelling vegetable who was about as obnoxious as Jar Jar Binks in uh, that one Star Wars movie. You know, in fact, if there is a video game out there that allows you to wreak violence on Jar Jar Binks or Zucchini from Theologans to your Noggins, I would pay money to play those games. <laughs> you know, <sighs> well, anyway, the church that brought you Zucchini from the Theologans for your Noggins is uh, on the 28th of uh, September uh, this month. Um, they're going to be having a free motorcycle blessing event. Uh, the name of the uh, ex- they're doing a current their current uh, sermon series is called Road Trip, and they're having a Bless the Bike event at the Oaks Fellowship in partnership with the Ellis County chapter of the Circuit Riders Motorcycle Ministry. Um, so I asked the question, how do you bless a motorcycle, especially if you're a Protestant? I, I've heard of Catholics doing stuff like this, you know, the Roman Catholics. In fact, I've I've seen Catholic churches having a pet blessing event. You know, bring your dog or cat, bring Fido or Fifi or Fufu, and uh, they'll bless your animal. Um, but uh, you bring your motorcycle to the Bless the Bike event, and they're going to bless your motorcycle. With what? Baptismal water? <laughs> Beer? No, I don't think they would do that. <laughs> Boy, but that would be relevant, though. That would uh, that would definitely draw a crowd. Um, so my question is, if you're going to be blessing motorcycles, what are you blessing them with? And where do you uh, see examples of this in the scripture? Is this in fifth Corinthians where, you know, where I'm serious? I mean, come on, 
Uh, and more, it, what's funny is I actually put this up at the Museum of Idolatry, and I got a lady who emailed me back and said, you got to understand this is an outreach event. <laughs> Somebody said, it doesn't matter that motorcycle blessings aren't real. It, it, this is an outreach to unsaved motorcycle people. You know, oh, this is ridiculous. You know, I think we have this stereotype of what the typical motorcycle rider is. You know, this is some guy who, you know, who is something to the equivalent of the uh, human version of a junkyard dog who drives a, a hog or a Harley down the byways and highways of America. And this this person that if you look at him cross-eyed, that what he would do is come up to you and, and thump you on the head with a hammer and pull your teeth out with a pair of pliers. You, you, I think that's what people think of motorcycle riders, you know, this, this, this stereotype. But uh, I used to live in uh, Corona, California, out in the 909 area code, for those of you in Southern California familiar with that lingo. And uh, there was this place near my house called Tom's Farms. And it was the weekend hangout for motorcyclers. I mean, and, you know, Tom's Farms, by the way, has some of the best pizza out there. In fact, if you live in Corona, Lake Elsinore, and you want some decent pizza, Tom's Farms is really the place to go to get a good pizza. And so my family, we we would order pizza and and go to Tom's Farms. And, I mean, they, they have a great deli, too. Just amazing selection of cheeses, meats, beers, you name it. They've They've really got a class operation out there. But, uh, you know, one time we, you know, we were waiting on our pizza and there was a group of motorcyclers out there. And I asked them, you know, so what do you guys do for a living? And the, the first guy who chimes up, he says, well, I'm an accountant. You know? <laughs> I'm thinking, you know, here we've got an accountant. This is a guy who crunches numbers and is a pencil pusher during the, the during the week. He's out there and, you know, riding this really scary motorcycle with leather and 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 has this persona and, you know. He's an accountant. You know, he does taxes. You know, there's so basically, you know, you, what's this big motorcycle event that they're going to have? They're going to out, re- reach out and bless the motorcycles of accountants, attorneys, pencil pushers, and cubicle dwellers. Because, uh, yeah, which leads to a good question. Yeah, that's a good question. Why, why would, um, why would a non-Christian bike rider want to have their motorcycle blessed anyways? You know, does it cost money to have your your bike blessed, by the way? And um, if your motorcycle is blessed, will it keep it from falling over? Because when it comes to motorcycle, they ha- motorcycles, they have a saying, there are two types of riders. Those who haven't fallen and, you know, and those, well, actually those who have fallen, those who are going to fall. That's, I think, the right way of saying it. You know, sorry, you know. Just just a little point there, you know. So if you're a motorcycle rider and your motorcycle has been blessed, will and you and you're in the category of those who have yet to fall, will this keep you from falling? And if it and if you end up falling after your motorcycle is blessed, can you sue the Oaks Fellowship for a defective blessing? Uh, no, I really want to know. Could this could this be a new form of litigation, especially if you bless the motorcycle of an accountant or an attorney? You know, let's let's one of those weekend uh, motorcycle attorney guys, and you bless his you bless his motorcycle, and he ends up falling and hurting himself. Could he turn around and sue, and you know, for blessing malpractice? You know, the blessing obviously didn't work, right? Yeah. Why? That just again, why is just 
Anyway, enough of that story. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, if we, we, we have to do a news story here. Um, from the Washington Post. Must see sermons. <sighs> By Ben Hubbard. Washington Post staff writer. Sunday, August 31st, 2008. Uh, I'll just read it for uh, this is all about must see sermons must see usually is uh, referred to things that have to do with uh, movies right well here we go fist fights crashing helicopters and gun wielding gorillas flashed across the screen the auditorium filled with the sounds of the jungle as senior pastor Rob Seegers clomped onto the stage in camouflage and combat boots touting a rifle canteen and a machete Good morning, mountaintop, he growled to the congregation before launching into his Sunday sermon based upon the R-rated, curse-filled Hollywood hit, Tropic Thunder. <laughs> what? I'm go- we can go to church now and, and uh, delve into the deep spiritual meanings of a Ben Stiller satire comedy Tropic Thunder? Yeah. <laughs> I, will, uh, yeah that, will the movie reviewers be giving... You know, how many stars does Seegers get for this sermon? Does he get a thumbs up and some thumbs down? You know, uh, and what's, what's funny is, is that now this is really telling how old I am. You know, the, the guys who did the thumbs up and thumbs down, one of the original guys is dead. You know, Siskel and Ebert. You know, it, I think Ebert's alive, right? Or is it Siskel? Ebert's alive. He's retiring. So, you know, they have new thumbs that are doing these things, and I haven't really been paying attention to the new thumbs. <sighs> yeah, well, Siskel and Ebert be giving this sermon a th- two thumbs up. <sighs> so he's do- he did a sermon, se- he did an entire sermon series on Hollywood movies, delving into the deep spiritual meanings of Tropic Thunder. You know, you know, I'd like to do a, I'd like to do a sermon series on Animal House. At least you can use that as a prime example of original sin, <laughs> or the uh, the theological concept of concupiscence. Yeah. Let me continue reading. The audience chuckled at his grisly soldier act and gave him some loud amens. If there were an Oscar for sermons, Seegers would be a contender. There's his Dark Knight performance when he roared up to the pulpit astride a Suzuki motorcycle dressed like Batman and his whip-cracking Indiana Jones in his green-suited Hulk. Perhaps most memorable is when he bumbled out wearing a ratty wig and a blood-red smile across his face ranting like a maniac. When I went into the church as the Joker, there was complete silence, Seegers recalled fondly. People were stunned because... I was acting as if I was evil. Well, actually, Seegers, you weren't acting. (laughs) Oh, man. Since June, Seegers, senior pastor at Christ Chapel Mountaintop in Prince William County, has based his sermons on the summer's blockbusters, managing to draw life lessons from the most unlikely subject matter. Life lessons. Yeah, I took a look at their website, by the way, and guess what? They're purpose-driven. Shazam! <laughs> More fruit from Rick Warren and his purpose-driven church movement. Thank you, Rick. Yes, 
you know, I, 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 I'm absolutely convinced that if you were to go to a, you know, one of these conferences where all these purpose-driven guys are sitting there talking about how to do church, and somebody were, were to raise their hand and go, "Hey, I have an idea. Why don't we preach from the Bible?" And I'm, I'm, he would either be shouted down, and with, or people would say, "No, no, it can't be done. It can't be done. You can no, <laughs> not, not if growth is important to you." Yeah. So, 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 Seegers has based his sermons on this on the summer's blockbusters, managing to draw quote life lessons from the most unlikely subject matter. The summer cinema series, which concludes today, thank the Lord it's done, seeks to attract those who don't ordinarily attend church while making the experience more fun to those who do. Uh, yeah, that's right. The Bible's just old. <laughs> we don't need it anymore. The four, what's the point? In, I mean, why do we have Christian bookstores and Bibles then? I mean, for heaven's sakes, just go to Blockbuster. You know, is your Christian life languishing? Do you feel like you're stalled spiritually? Would you like to have a more Christ-centered experience in your Christian walk? Well, then, go to Blockbuster Video and pick up the latest Batman series. Batman, full, chock full of life lessons from the most unlikely source. Do you need a little bit of a pick-me-up? Take the spiritual lessons from (laughs) Spider-Man. Is your love life really languishing? Oh, come on over to our romance section. You can take a look at Little Women. We've got a great selection of chick flicks that will help you with the spiritual problems that you're having in your marriage. It's kind of sad. I couldn't really list any real chick flicks off the top of my head. <laughs> I'm so insensitive. <sighs> the four-year-old church averages about 20 visitors a week in addition to members, which is significant considering that attendance usually lags during the summer. 20 visitors a week. Well, yeah, you know. There, the offense of the cross isn't there. <laughs> we try to make uh, church and God applicable to people's lives. Well, what does God have to do with any of these movies? Is he? Is he even? Does he? Does Jesus have a cameo appearance in Batman? Yeah, it, it, he, you know, it was Alfred Hitchcock. He would always have a cameo in all of his uh, in all of his movies. I I think uh, M Night Shyamalan's doing that too. He has cameos in much, many of his movies. Does Jesus have a walk on role in any of these movies? One? Come on, <laughs> Tropic Thunder. Jesus makes a cameo appearance in Tropic Thunder. <laughs> Seegers bases each week's message on the highest grossing movie the previous weekend. He sees the movie, then prays about how to extract a biblical message. Uh, There's no Bible in there, uh, Pastor Seegers. (laughs) That's okay. God will tell him directly on how to. Tropic Thunder. How do you pull a biblical message out of Tropic Thunder? Maybe I'm just closed-minded. It's chock full of Bible verses because Ben Stiller, you know, He's a really upstanding moral Christian guy. <sighs> he had to see movies with violence and language he would otherwise avoid. Well, because that was because he 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 committed himself to this. And last month he saw Hellboy 2, The Golden Army, in which an evil prince seeks to resurrect an indestructible army to take over the earth by assembling pieces of a magical crown. We too have invaluable crowns, Seeger 
preached rewards God has prepared for those who love and serve him faithfully. Because, yeah, because yeah, Hellboy 2 is really about Jesus. <sighs> Let's see. For his Dark Knight sermon, Seegers drew from the movie's bleakest point when Batman is struggling with demons, both real and personal. Seegers preached on the faith needed to endure in hard times. Take that frown and turn it upside down. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, I think Hellboy is the appropriate way of describing his church. Oh, man. Uh, moving along. <clears throat> this is from the ooze. <laughs> I apologize ahead of time for the language in this article. Um, I did not write it, but I will be passing it along. The ooze. If you're not familiar with the ooze, the ooze um, is uh, a very popular emergent site. And what do they do there? They converse. They discuss. It's it's like coffee talk. Remember the uh, Saturday Night Live sketch, coffee talk? The civil war was neither civil nor war. Discuss. You know, that's the emergent church. <clears throat> Name of the article is Why Christians Suck by Tom Davis. Why Christians Suck. <clears throat> See if you can work your way through this one. Can you argue your way out of this? I mean, we shouldn't be doing that because arguing and and stuff like that. That's modern. This is a postmodern website. But apparently he's he's arguing, though. Each Sunday, millions of Christians in America gather to worship the God who commands us to love our neighbors as ourselves. Maybe I should read it in a whiny voice. <laughs> Let me try this again from my, my liberal whiny voice. Each Sunday, millions of Christians in America gather to worship the God who commands us to love our neighbors as ourselves. And we belt out praises to God who tells us that, that pure and undefiled religion is caring for widows and orphans in their stress. And we kneel in pious prayer before the almighty God of the universe who describes himself as loving and gracious and merciful and generous. And then we walk out of the back door of the church and step into a world in need and proceed to withhold the love and grace and mercy that is extended to us. <laughs> it, it works that way. <clears throat> this is a <laughs> this is a screedle piece, I think. <laughs> uh, let me let me read it in a normal voice. <clears throat> Each Sunday, millions of Christians in America gather to worship the God who commands us to love our neighbors as ourselves. We belt out praises to the God who tells us that pure and undefiled religion is caring for widows and orphans in their distress. We kneel in pious prayer before the almighty God of the universe, who describes himself as loving, gracious, merciful, and generous. And then we walk out the back door of the church, step into a world in need, and proceed to withhold the love and the grace and the mercy that is extended to us. Um, uh, Tom, who are you talking about? And what are you talking about? Well, let's continue. We might as well uh, give God the middle finger. Those emergents are so cool in how they use language. They're so relevant. Anyway, <clears throat> we might as well give God the middle finger. Outside of a tiny minority of Christians, we have become self-centered group of priggish snobs. In short, we suck. Before you pick up a rock and throw it at me, think about this. I could have used other words that aren't as nice as suck, like whitewashed tombs, brood of vipers, fools, or even the ever-ego inflating get-behind-me-Satan. Does he... Uh, <clears throat> hey, uh, Tom, have you ever read any of that in context? You know, when Jesus was doing a little name-calling, what was the primary problem regarding the Pharisees? Self-righteousness. The Pharisees were self-righteous. They thought they were pulling the law off. Right? 
get behind me, Satan, was because, well, Peter had in, think, in mind the things of men instead of the things of God. And he was trying to dissuade Jesus from going to the cross and dying on the cross. And what was Jesus' response to that? Get behind me, Satan. <clears throat> okay, so Jesus used all of these choice phrases to describe religious leaders and some of his closest followers. But calling someone a whitewashed tomb just doesn't cut it anymore. We suck is a much better choice for our cultural context. Poverty sucks, divorce sucks, and unfortunately some Christians suck too. So basically the reason why we suck, according to Tom Davis, is because um, we haven't solved the poverty problem yet. Yes, that's right. It, Jesus didn't say go and make disciples. He said go and solve the poverty problem. Go and eradicate poverty. Here are the facts. 85% of young people outside of the church who have had connection to Christians believe present-day Christianity is hypocritical. Uh, so, 20% of the people in America don't believe that uh, the United States actually walked on the moon. So what? <laughs> woo Okay. <clears throat> okay, inside the church, 47% of young people believe the same thing. And why wouldn't they? We're pretty stingy with our money. 80% of the world's evangelical wealth is in North America. That's proof that we're stingy. Giving by churchgoers was higher during the Great Depression than it is today. Christians give an average of $13.31 per week to their local church, and only 9% of born-again adults report tithing in 2004. Let's take a... <laughs> why do Christians suck? The reason why Christians sucks, according to Tom Davis... An emergent guy writing for the ooze is uh, because we're stingy. <sighs> you know, I have an idea. Why don't we just, as Christians, advocate for global Marxism? That way we can just eradicate the unfairness altogether. That's what we should do, don't you think? Think about it. If if the reason why if the reason why we're we're we suck as Christians is because we're supposedly stingy with our money, and these stats prove it. That's quite a broad brush you're painting with there, um, Tom. Um, then I think that we need as Christians to uh, basically the solution here is we need to institute global Marxism. We need to set up a one world government that's responsible for evenly distributing all of the world's resources so that everybody has exactly the same thing and nobody has anything more than anybody else. It's time for us Christians to get behind global Marxism because we suck. Because it's not fair that we have money and other people don't. Don't you think? Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you, Tom. Global Marxism. That's the way to go. Power to the people. Ridiculous. <sighs> Does anyone know how to actually argue? I mean, the problem with this piece is that as far as an argument goes, if I may use the word, uh, this argument sucks. It's really lame. <laughs> I, I mean, this is the kind of the kind of stuff I would expect from an eighth grader. You know, this, that's the depth of the argumentation in this article. Yeah, maybe Tom is an eighth grader. Hey, Tom, if you've graduated from the eighth grade, I apologize. But I do want to see your diploma. 
I don't want to talk about Obama. <laughs> Sorry, I, I'm looking through my stack here. Oh, boy. Um, y'all ever, you guys remember Promise Keepers? You know what the, what I called them? Promise Breakers. Yeah. Because, you know, they, every year they go and they'd have these big stadium rallies and do the hoorah and the rah-rah and we're going to rededicate ourselves and because we're men and you know you have to beat a drum and bang a gong and cry and hug you know hug all the other men and then what it would you know the promise keepers what do they do the minute they left the stadium they go and break their promises why because they're sinners we all are the problem is is that we sin cry the solution to our sin by the way is the gospel that's the only way to get rid of your sin christ absolves you he died for your sins Bill Hybels challenges thousands to refuse God nothing. You know, it sounds so good. It sounds so avant-garde. It sounds so sold out for Jesus. You know what it sounds like to me? Absolute formula for hypocrisy and failure. Fairfax, Virginia, church leaders attending the leadership summit at sites across North America were left with a sobering reminder of the world's woes and the difficult tasks they have at hand in carrying God's calling. Um, God's calling is not for us to go and solve all the world's woes. We are called to go and preach the gospel and make disciples. That's our call. Or to put it another way, the message of the gospel is the mission of the church. They were asked if they could be fully yielded to God as one of the most famed humanitarian figures in in history had been. More than 50,000 leaders stood up at the conclusion of the two-day annual summit hosted by the Willow Creek Association, repeating some of the Proverbs Mother Teresa had lived for over four decades of her life. God, I yield myself to you, they said. I will do your bidding without delay. I will refuse you nothing. I will seek to love you as you have never been loved before. Here I am, send me. After studying for months about Mother Teresa, Bill Hybels of Willow Creek Community Church in South Barrington, Barrington, Illinois, painted a powerful picture of the pint-sized Catholic nun who had given herself fully to God even during periods when she could not feel God's presence. No, she didn't. She was a sinner just like you and me. Even though I don't feel his presence, I will seek to love him as he has never been loved, Hybels quoted her as saying. The megachurch leader admitted that such words were foreign to his spirituality, noting that no one has affected him more deeply than Mother Teresa. What about Jesus Christ? (sighs) He said the entire summit was worth worth it for him just to do the research on this woman. Did, did they have a motorcycle blessing after the leadership summit? Are you lighting up the radar screen in heaven by your yieldedness? Hybels asked, if you were God for a day, would you pick you? Uh, <clears throat> this is the kind of stuff that makes me crazy. Uh, let, let me see this. The answer to the question, are you lighting up the radar screen in heaven by your yieldedness? Absolutely not. I'm not. I am a wretched and depraved sinner. The things I don't want to do, I do. The things I do want to do, I don't do. Does that sound familiar to any of you that's ever read the Bible? Daily, I sin much. Daily, I have to avail myself of the mercy and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Uh, but the good news is is that uh, there was somebody who lit up God's radar screen regarding his yieldedness. That man was Jesus Christ. He yielded perfectly to God, the Father. If you were God for a day, would you pick you? 
Well, that's the thing. Um, what what logic are you using? If, if I were God for a day, would I pick me? Well, um, it seems that God picks the people that uh, we would least expect him to pick. He picks prostitutes and sinners. And Jesus said it's the sick that need a physician, not the well. So according to Scripture, um, Christ is n- not looking to pick people based on their yieldedness. Oh, and by the way, we're all dead in trespasses and sins by nature and uh, and are hostile to God. So um, God could have basically said to the whole lot of us, to hell with you. Couldn't he have? So these little pep speeches and stuff like that, I, as far as I'm concerned, yeah, it makes great press in the uh, in the Christian post. And, oh, he just sounds like he's just so yielded to God. Hybels is challenging thousands to refuse nothing to God. Well, why don't you start first, Bill? You show us how it's done. Pastor Bill, are you perfectly yielded to God? Have you? Are you refusing God nothing? And once you live an entire lifetime of doing that, let me know if you've done enough. Uh, how do I measure my yieldedness? What does that mean? Uh, yeah, oh, and by the way, God already did pick me in Christ. <sighs> Crazy stuff. All right. When we come back, we're going to go into our first break. When we come back, we are going to uh, talk about whether or not there's more than one path to God. I've got a, quote, Christian sermon preached by a pastor in Omaha, Nebraska, Oh boy, this is a doozer. Yeah, claiming that uh, there are more than there's more than one way to climb Mount Fuji. Yeah, there are many paths that lead to God from a Christian pulpit, supposedly. Oh man! If you would like to email me and tell me how yielded you are, and if God would pick you based upon your yieldedness, and how you're actually refusing God nothing, or maybe you want to talk about how Christians suck. Or actually know the proper way to bless a motorcycle. The way you do that is to email me. Talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. Talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. We'll be right back. We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> My local Christian bookstore just sells Jesus schlock. Where can I find good material? We at NewReformationPress.com are committed to providing a hand-picked selection of books and teaching materials that educate, inform, and entertain while uniquely maintaining a relentless focus on the gospel. We believe that these forgotten doctrines and their scriptural emphases can not only enrich individual Christians and revive the church, but also address the deepest needs of our culture. Discover our growing library of resources by Dr. Rod Rosenblatt of the White Horse Inn Radio Program, including his powerful address, The Gospel for Those Broken by the Church. Available exclusively at NewReformationPress.com or the big picture audio presentation Bible in an Hour by Pastor Wade Butler. Learn the center and scope of redemptive history and scripture in just one hour. 
And of course, be sure not to miss our selection of t-shirts, gifts, and artwork as well. NewReformationPress.com. Finally, Reformation Theology Made Accessible. <laughs> I love this music. <laughs> I wish I was talented like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Welcome back to Fighting for the Faith. As much as I love Peach Cobbler, that's the name of the song. <laughs> We're going to have to move on. Uh, Got to put that into the mix every now and then. All right. Welcome back to Fighting for the Faith. Um, all right. Uh, how many... Uh, <clears throat> finding your paths to God. Name of a sermon <laughs> on John 4.16, preached by the Reverend Chuck Curie. Um, apparently from... Uh, Nebraska. At least I think that's where he's from. I may be wrong. He's from somewhere somewhere out there. That's a good way to put it. And uh, so the question is, uh, okay, this the sermon text for this sermon, the, the name of the sermon is um, on, uh, Finding Your Paths to God. The sermon text is John 14, 6. Uh, let me read the passage to you, um, the verse. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except for through me. A little exclusive talk on the part of Jesus Christ. And um, the Reverend Chuck Curry is uh, the one here who's uh, going to be preaching. And uh, let's see if he, uh, if he uh, actually, he's in Portland, Oregon. Sorry about that. Yeah, Portland, Oregon. I was looking at the picture, trying to figure out where he's from. He's not from Nebraska. He's in Portland, Oregon. And the reason I say I said Nebraska is because uh, somebody from Nebraska emailed me with this. So, I, again, I'm old. My lines get crossed. So, uh, Reverend Chuck Curie, um, paths to God here. Um, finding your paths to God. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except for through me. Sounds kind of exclusive to me. Let's see what this uh, Christian, <clears throat> in quotes, pastor does with this uh, passage. Uh, h- here we go. Anytime we talk about religion, this question always comes up. Which is the right religion? Christians quickly point to John 14.6, our reading from this morning, is evidence that the Christian faith is the only true religion. Uh, yeah, because that's what the passage says. <laughs> We're off to a bad start because he's already setting this up as a foil. Yeah, you believe that uh, Christianity is the only true religion? Well, let's, let's see how you get out of this one. But is that really the case? Yes, that's really the case. When we assert that we and we alone know the mind of God, the implications can be disastrous. Uh, now, hold on a second here. That, <clears throat> by the way, um, this is uh, what we call theological sleight of hand and misdirection. Okay, He just said, uh, he basically read the text and then he said, uh, if we claim that we know the mind of God, how dare we? Um. By the way, when you quote the... See, here's the deal. I don't claim to know the whole mind of God, okay? 
In fact, what very little I know about God, or what you know about God, um, I get my information because God actually revealed its, that information about himself in his word called the Bible. Okay, What is Scripture? In part, it, it is a revelation from God regarding who he is, what he does, how we're saved, where we came from. And so what little information I understand about God comes from the Bible. I don't claim to know everything about God. That would be a, that would be ridiculous. I'd have to be a God to know everything about God. And, well, ask my wife. I ain't a God. <laughs> Although I look like Buddha. <laughs> uh, different story. Okay, so this is okay. I'm kind of deconstructing a magic trick here. So when when one of these liberal people, you know, they, oh, how dare you think that you know the whole mind of God? No, I don't claim to know the whole mind of God. But what I do know about God, God has revealed. Okay, so this whole idea of of, of pulling the arrogance card. It's it's a form of mix, mix, uh, misdirection. Otherwise known in logic, it's called a red herring. Okay, red herring. You you know basically, boy, that would be very distracting. Bring a bring a big red herring out on stage. That would distract people. So this is a red herring. <clears throat> Let's continue. Let me share two brief recent examples. This month, the United States Senate, which opens up all of their sessions with the prayer invited a Hindu chaplain to deliver the invocation. This is what he planned to say. Let us pray. We meditate on the transcendent glory of the Deity Supreme. Who Deity Supreme. It, it sounds like a chocolate cake or something. <laughs> I worship the Deity Supreme. I would like a slice of Deity Supreme. Can you supersize, you supersize that, please? Sorry. Who is inside the heart of the earth, inside the life of the sky, inside the soul of the heaven, may he stimulate and illuminate our minds. Lead us from the unreal to the real, from darkness to light, from death to immortality. May we be protected together. May we be nourished together. May we work together with great vigor. May our study be enlightening. May no obstacle arise between us. May the Senator strive consistently to serve the welfare of the world, performing their duties with the welfare of others always in mind, because by devotion to selfless work, one attains the supreme goal of life. May they work carefully. Yeah, by the way, he's reading a Hindu prayer from a Hindu guy who was going to open up a session of the Senate, and this is the the prayer this Hindu was going to pray. And apparently this really rings true with him. Carefully and wisely, guided by compassion. Keep in mind, he's reading this in a church, a Christian church. Compassion and without thought for themselves, united your resolve, united your hearts. May your spirits be as one, that you may long dwell in unity and concord. Peace, peace, peace be unto all. Lord, we ask you to comfort the family of former First Lady, Lady Bird Johnson. Amen. But as Chaplain Zed began his prayer, his prayer protesters 
egged on by the so-called American Family Association, interrupted. Reuters News Service reported the story this way. Three protesters disrupted a prayer by a Hindu chaplain Thursday at the opening of a Senate hearing, calling it an abomination and shouting slogans about Jesus Christ. It was the first time the daily prayer that opened Senate proceedings was said by a Hindu chaplain. Capitol Police said two men and one man were arrested in charge of causing a disruption in the public gallery of the Senate. They shouted, no Lord but Jesus Christ. Okay, all right, so persecution of Hindus by Christians. Can you imagine? How dare those Christians actually say that there's no Lord but Jesus Christ? How dare they? There's only one true God, and it's an abomination. Before the protest occurred, the American Family Association, a conservative political group, sent out an action alert demanding that their members contact Congress and that Chaplain Zed be uninvited. In their action alert, they said this about Hinduism. This is not a religion that has produced great things in the world. You look. Yeah, you ever heard of the caste system? Yeah, the, the Hinduism has really been a blight on humanity. For sure it has. Look at India. You look at Nepal. There's persecution going on in both of those countries that is generated by the religious belief that is present there. And Hindu dominates in both of these countries. Someone forgot to tell the American Family Association the story of Gandhi and how the Hindu people established the world's largest democracy. Yes, there is discrimination in the world, and I've been to India, and I know that Hindu extremists can be part of it. But the sad fact is that Christians have also been the ones promoting discrimination. Need evidence? Three protesters disrupted a prayer by a Hindu chaplain Thursday at the opening of a Senate hearing calling it an abomination and shouting slogans about Jesus Christ. About this same time, the Vatican released a new statement. All right, uh, this is where i got <clears> to <throat> draw a little bit of a line here. Um, by the way, I know this is going to rattle some people's cages, but uh, <clears throat> the United States is not a Christian nation. Um, this is not the kingdom of God or the kingdom of Christ. So, you know... <sighs> Personally, I don't. I'm not going to get bent out of shape if a Hindu prays to open the Senate. You know, personally, I'm just not going to get all that exercised about it because, yeah, I know our money says in God we trust, but the thing is, it doesn't say which God. Um, and since I only believe in the one true God, um. I don't really consider the phrase in God we trust to be all that helpful. Um, and when my kids say the Pledge of Allegiance, one nation under God, um, which one? All of them? None of them? I mean, the unknown God? See, I, I, I don't really care. But where I really think that there really should be discrimination is in the Christian church. Um, a Hindu uh, Hindu 
praying in a Christian church as if that somehow uh, we have any common bond with them whatsoever, aside from the fact that we're humans created by God. Um, I would draw the line there. So um, I believe in discrimination in the church. We preach Christ and him crucified, and we preach that he is the only way of salvation because um, that's what he said. But let's see how Pastor Curry deals with the passage because he's going to get there. And uh, it's, you know, Harry Houdini, I don't think could have gotten out of this spot. But uh, Pastor Curry seems to find a way to get around that really thorny, difficult passage where Jesus says that no one comes to the Father except for through me. It seems like it's locked tight, right? No, not to to Pastor Curry. Statement on their understanding of what the church is and what the church isn't. Let me read you part of this story from Religion News Service. The Vatican on July 10th reasserted the primacy of the Roman Catholic Church, calling all other Christian churches defective and saying Protestant denominations are not even churches in the proper sense. The statement, which was ratified and confirmed by by Pope Benedict and published with his approval, reiterates some of the most controversial ideas in a 2000 Vatican Declaration published under Benedict's authority while he was still Cardinal Rodzinger. Thursday's four-page document purports to correct erroneous interpretations and misunderstandings of the teachings of the Second Vatican Council of the 1960s. The new document, document said Vatican II neither changed nor intended to change the teachings that the one church of Jesus Christ subsists in the Catholic Church alone. Other Christian denominations, it argues, can also be instruments of salvation, but suffer from serious defects insofar as they depart from Catholicism. Statements like this one from the Pope do much damage to the ecumenical movement, to Christian unity. We are as much a church in the United Church of Christ as they are a church in the Vatican. Do you hear, do you hear, hear these different claims of exclusivity? The American Family Association is asserting that the only Christian faith, that only the Christian faith is legitimate, and the Pope is asserting that only the Roman Catholic Church is, tr- is truly a church. Part of the problem in discussions like these goes back to how we read the Bible. Is John 14:16 the literal word of God? Or is it a human reflection that speaks to how the early Christian community understood their faith? All right, uh, let's deconstruct this a little bit here. Um, <clears throat> Pastor Curry is basically arguing at this point, see, there's all kinds of people who have different claims of exclusivity. And the problem lies in how you look at the Bible. Do you consider it the literal word of God? Or is an expression of a community of faith? Uh, what? Huh? Let me back that up. <laughs> you see, everybody, there's all kinds of people have different claims of exclusivity. How do you know your claim is right? So what? Truth is truth. And you're going to have to find a way to figure out what's true and what's false. Let me back this up. Here we go. 
is John 14, 16, the literal word of God? Or is it a human reflection that speaks to how the early Christian community understood their faith? Uh, it's the literal word of God. I'll go with the first one. Biblical scholars in mainline seminaries agree that Jesus never spoke the words attributed to him in our... <laughs> okay, here's how we're going to get around it. Because the Jesus seminar, they took a vote. I'm sorry you weren't present to actually, uh, you know, they weren't elected and you didn't get to uh, have any say on your own. But the, uh, the 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 Jesus seminar met and they, they took a vote and they voted and Jesus really didn't actually say these words. Yeah, right. You're going to have to do better than that, Pastor. Yeah, the Jesus, they didn't have an, they didn't have an agenda, did they? They were completely unbiased. No, they basically any any miraculous claims, anything other than moral statements were gone. Jesus never really said them. Well, that's the funny thing is, is that um, the New Testament documents actually are eyewitness testimony. There's four biographies. Three of them are probably written by eyewitnesses. One was uh, one was for sure compiled by interviewing the eyewitnesses and the eyewitnesses all agree. Jesus actually said those things. But see, this is in the Gospel of John. You see, so <clears throat> let's see what he does with this. In our reading from this morning, the Gospel of John was written some 100 years after the death of Jesus, and in no other writing is Jesus said to have made such exclusive claims about the faith. Uh, okay, so the right, way you get rid of John is you make the claim that it was written 100 years after Jesus, and that since no other, uh, none of the other Gospels make exclusive claims like this, therefore it can't be true. You know what's funny? <clears throat> you see, Jesus is about love love and he just wants us to love our neighbor and we we can unite together in christian unity and love and and not be so divided about whether or not our religion is the only way you know did you know that the old testament is chock full of exclusive claims did you know that <clears throat> let me read a few for you exodus chapter 20 verse 3 god speaking oh by the way jesus claimed to be the one true god of the Old Testament, Yahweh of the Old Testament. Jesus actually claimed to be Yahweh of the Old Testament, the God of the Hebrews in human flesh. Okay, so this is Jesus speaking. <laughs> you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water underneath. For you shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who love me, but showing uh, those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to those thousands, to those who love me and keep my commands. Wow. That sounds like an exclusive claim. Oh, by the way, the um, the disciples of Jesus Christ, they were Jews. They were very familiar with the exclusive claims of the Old Testament, that there was one true God. They weren't into this many paths idea whatsoever. Second Kings 
17, 35, The Lord made a covenant with them and commanded them, You shall not fear other gods or bow yourselves to them or serve them or sacrifice to them. Well, that's an unloving and exclusive God, isn't it? Jeremiah 25, 6, Do not go after other gods to serve or worship them or provoke me to anger with the work of your hands. Then I will do you no harm, God says. That seems like an exclusive claim to me. Does that sound like an exclusive claim to you, John? Jeremiah, I have sent to you all my servants, the prophets, sending them persistently, saying, Turn now every one of you from his evil way and amend your deeds and do not go after other gods or serve them, and then you shall dwell in the land that I gave you and your fathers, but you did not incline your ear to listen to me. I'd like to read you a story. Since liberals and emergents are into narrative theology, I would like to read some narrative to you. You tell me if we're dealing with a God who believes in many paths to him. Um, let's see here. First Samuel chapter 5. Are you guys familiar with the story of how at the beginning, at the tail end of the period of the judges, you got Eli is the, is the prophet. Not the prophet. He's like the judge. He's the guy who's in charge of the tabernacle. And his sons were really wicked. And uh, God said that he, he was going to basically kill them because of their wickedness. And he did. He killed them all on the same day. Killed the, his sons. Uh, e- Eli died. Uh, Eli's granddaughter-in-law uh, you know, gave birth, and, and she died. It was a bad day. And on that particular day, Israel had brought the uh, Ark of the Covenant out to uh, you know in order to defeat the Philistines in a battle. And the Philistines ended up winning. Okay? And they captured the Ark. Now, um, a lot of people got to understand this. They didn't have football back then. Okay, so um, armies were kind of like football teams. You would root for them, and you'd want them to go out and cheer for them. And the idea was is that gods were regional. Okay, so um, the god of the Philistines was a regional god, and he would go with his army. And if if his if uh, if the gods of the Philistines defeated the armies of Israel, then it was seen as one god defeating the other god. You know, and so they'd be out on the sidelines cheering like, my God is better than your God. You know, that kind of stuff, right? Okay, so, you know, when, when an army lost, it was considered a defeat of their deities, you know, because deities were regional. Um, so what happened is, is that uh, the armies of the Philistines defeated the Israelites, and um, they captured the Ark of the Covenant. And what did they do? Well, to show how their God had defeated the God of Israel, they brought the Ark of the Covenant and they put it in the temple of Dagon. Dagon was the fish deity of, you know, he's kind of like a merman deity of the, uh, of the Philistines because the Philistines were a seafaring nation. And um, uh, let, me, let me read this story to you. And tell me if, if this behavior of, on the part of, of the one true God is consistent with this many paths idea or this non-exclusivity that uh, Pastor Curry's preaching. Let me do this in narrative format. First uh, Samuel chapter 5, verse 1. When the Philistines captured the Ark of God, they brought it from Ebenezer, Ebenezer to Ashdod. Then the Philistines took the Ark of God and brought it to the house of Dagon and set it up beside Dagon. Dagon is an idol and is a false deity. And when the people of Ashdod rose early the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and put him back in his place. By the way, one of the rituals that they had to do with Dagon is they had to go and tap him every morning to wake him up. That's why they noticed that he was on the ground. 
because, you know, their god had to be woken up because he sleeps. <clears throat> so they took Dagon and put him back in his place. But when they rose early the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord and the head of Dagon and both of his hands were lying cut off on the threshold. Only the trunk of Dagon was left to him. Oh, Dagon became stumpy. The stump god. <laughs> what do you call a god with no arms and no legs? Dagon. <laughs> oh, <laughs> sorry, that was a bad joke. <clears throat> okay. All right, so uh, only the trunk of Dagon was left to him, and this is why the priests of Dagon and all who entered the house of Dagon did not tread on the threshold of Dagon and Ashdod to this day. So the hand of the Lord was heavy against the people of Ashdod, and he terrified and afflicted them with tumors, both Ashdod and its territory. Well, this isn't the behavior of a kind and gentle and and tolerant deity who accepts many paths to him, is it? God is really acting like a bully here in in a very politically incorrect way. Uh, let's see. The hand of the Lord was heavy against the people of Ashdod. He was terrified. They were afflicted with tumors. And then the men of Ashdod saw how things were, and they said, The ark of the God of Israel must not remain with us, for his hand is hard against us and against Dagon our God. So they sent and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, What shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? They answered, Well, let the ark of the God of Israel be brought to Gath. And Gath is another Philistine town. So they brought the ark of the God of Israel there, and after they had brought it around, the hand of the Lord was uh, was against the city, causing a very great panic. And he afflicted the men of the city, both young and old, so that tumors broke out on them. Well, that's not right. God afflicting the young and the old alike? He's picking on children. <clears throat> Seems awful mean. Yeah, why do bad things happen to good people? <laughs> why? Because there's no such thing as a good person. After they had brought it around, oh gosh, okay, all right, so anyways, all right, after they brought it around, the hand of the Lord was against the city, causing a great panic, and he afflicted the men and the women, both young and old, so the tumors broke out on them, and they sent the ark of God to Ekron. But as soon as the ark of God came to Ekron, the people of Ekron cried out, they have brought around the ark of the God of, of Israel to kill us and our people. <laughs> <clears throat> hmm. What's the deal? Uh, Pastor Curry would have you believe... By the way, we're going to go a little long today. We're going to into extra innings. Pastor Curry would have you believe that this exclusive talk of Jesus is completely out of character with Jesus. Oh, no, it's not, because Jesus claimed to be the, the, the God of Israel in human flesh. And the God of Israel didn't put up with other gods. He said he was a jealous God, and he would not allow worship of other gods to be credited as if it was worship to him. He said, you will not bow down to these other gods. The God of Israel even went so far as to call that type of idolatry spiritual prostitution, whoring. That was the verb, whoring after other gods. When Israel would go whoring after other gods. So, um, yeah, um, I'm sorry, but you're... Your liberal scholars that uh, voted against the things that Jesus said, uh, um, 
they're Johnny come latelys, and I'm sorry, their credentials don't overthrow the credentials of the early church and the New Testament or the Old Testament because the two actually flow together. It makes perfect sense that Jesus would make exclusive claims because he is the God of the Old Testament. Let's continue. So why, after a hundred years have passed since his death, would someone remember things so differently? Because actually the story you're telling is not a true story. Okay? The, the Gospel of John was written by the apostle who remembered correctly what Jesus taught. That's what's going on here. You and your notions that this was written a hundred years after Jesus and doesn't reflect what Jesus said is absolute rubbish and hogwash, and it is a liberal myth. So starkly differently. It might be better to read this passage as a statement of faith from the early Christian community who believed with conviction that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. I share that conviction today. But I'm not so arrogant to think that my own understanding of God surpasses all other understanding. Uh, this has nothing to do with arrogance or humility. That is a false category. Again, God has revealed these things, and you are arrogant if you are denying them. That's what arrogance is. You denying what God has said, and somehow in your arrogance thinking you know better than God. That's what's going on here. Don't sit here and say that we're arrogant because we believe what God has said, because we believe what Christ has said. You are arrogant because you are denying it. Of God, or to think that God chooses only to speak to the people of ancient Israel and that we were fortunate enough. Well, that's the thing. God chose them and he said that he did speak to them. We know with certainty that he did. Because Jesus Christ affirmed that the Old Testament was the word of God, claimed to be the God of the Old Testament, and proved it by raising himself from the dead three days after he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. ...to inherit those stories. Is it possible that God speaks through Judaism, Islam, Hinduism? No, it's not possible that God speaks through Islam or Hinduism or any other false religion. It's not possible. Sorry, those religions contradict the one true faith that we have handed down to us in the scriptures. So therefore, they are not true. In the world's other great religions, in the Gospel of Thomas, a collection of Jesus' sayings... Okay, notice something. He is quoting from the Gospel, the Gnostic Gospel of Thomas. Okay, let me back this up. You cannot... Okay, he is denying that the Gospel of John is canonical, and now he's going to quote from the Gnostic Gospel of Thomas, as if it's authoritative. Let's back this up so that you can hear the context. Or to think that God chooses only to speak to the people of ancient Israel, and that we were fortunate enough to inherit those stories. Is it possible that God speaks through Judaism, Islam, Hinduism, in the world's other great religions? No. In the Gospel of Thomas, a collection of Jesus' sayings that date to before all the other Gospels. Lie. That is an absolute lie. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to state this emphatically. He just said that the Gospel of Thomas predates all of the other Gospels. That is an outright, flat-out lie. He cannot prove that textually. He cannot prove it from the extent 
I think we only have one full, fully intact copy of the Gospel of Thomas. And the earliest quotes that we have from the Gospel of Thomas are from the third century. I'm sorry, the Gospel of Thomas uh, is old. It is old. It does not predate Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And if you've read it, um, <clears throat> since he wants to quote from the Gospel, gospel of Thomas, um, if you've read it, the Gospel of Thomas is kind of like fortune cookie sayings. It, it's a Gnostic text. The Gnostics don't like matter. They think matter is evil. They're more into hidden knowledge and stuff like that. And it teaches that you know the truth is with, found within you using a divine inner light. Um, but um, the, what's missing in the Gospel of Thomas is any of the historical context. Whereas the, the, the true Gospels tell you where Jesus was, who he was talking to, what he said. You know, he traveled here. He said this. He went there. He said that. In the Gospel of Thomas, it, none of the none of the historical narrative is there. It's just a collection of supposed sayings. But uh, since he wants to quote the Gospel of Thomas as authoritative, um, I would uh, refer him back to the Gospel of Thomas, uh, cha- uh, number one hundred and fourteen. Simon Peter said to him, let Mary leave us for women are not worthy of life. Jesus said, I myself shall lead her in order to make her a male so that she too may become a living, living spirit resembling you males. For every woman who will make herself male will enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay, catch what's going on here. Pastor, and I mean that in the loosest term here. Pastor Curry is actually quoting from the Gospel of Thomas as if it's authoritative. He's just taken the Gospel of John and chucked it out, claimed that it was written a hundred years after Jesus walked the earth and doesn't accurately record what Jesus says. And now he's saying that the Gnostic Gospel of Thomas, which we only have one full copy of in its third century, it's late. He claims that it predates the, the actual Gospels we have in the New Testament and that it's authoritative. Yet the Gospel of Thomas teaches that unless a woman becomes a male, she cannot be saved. <sighs> what's that? What's that surgery they they use to make a guy into a, a you know, to you know into a eunuch? The the lapidotomy. Yeah, a woman has to get the reverse of a lapidotomy. Yeah, so women, you better start cross-dressing and go get that surgery. Um, to become a man so that you can be saved according to the Gospel of Thomas. Yeah, yeah, Pastor Curry, quoting the Gospel of Thomas as if it's authoritative. We continue. And perhaps even before Paul's letters, it is written, Jesus said, If those who lead you say to you, Look, the kingdom is in the sky, then the birds of the sky will get there first. If they say it is in the sea, then the fish will get there first. Rather, the kingdom is inside of you, and it is outside of you. When you come to know yourselves, then you will become known, and you will realize that it is you, you who are the children of the living Father. He is quoting the Gospel of Thomas as if it is authoritative, and it is not. This man is a heretic. He is not a Christian pastor by any stretch of the imagination. But if you will not know yourselves, then you will dwell in poverty. Oh, you must learn to know yourself, young grasshopper. In poverty. And it is you that are poverty. Reflecting on this statement, Elaine Pagels, the Harvard... 
He's quoting Elaine Pagels. If you're not familiar with Elaine Pagels, Elaine Pagels is a super liberal, quote, theologian. She is to theology as Nancy Pelosi is to politics. Probably more like Hillary Clinton is to politics. Yeah, well, I don't want to give her too much credit because Pagels is, she's ridiculous. I'm sorry, but Pagels is, her scholarship is anything but. New Testament scholar writes, according to the Gospel of Thomas, that living Jesus indeed offers access to God. But instead of claiming to be the only begotten Son, as the New Testament uh, Gospel of John will later insist, he reveals that it is you who are the children of God. Oh, man. You see, your problem is is that you believe that the Bible's literal and you believe that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God and that and that the claims that he made in that in that faulty gospel of John where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except for through me. See, you don't understand. The Gospel of Thomas says that you are the children of God. This is what we call spiritual satanic poison. And it uses the same method that Satan has used from the beginning all the way back in the garden. Did God really say? Did God really say that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except for through me? Don't you realize that you are divine, and you can be like God, and you are the children of God? That The, the parallels between what we just heard and Satan's lie in the garden are eerie. I'm a little worked up. Let me back that up so you can hear it in context. In poverty, and it is you that are poverty. Reflecting on this statement, Elaine Cagles, the Harvard New Testament scholar, writes, According to the Gospel of Thomas, that living Jesus indeed offers access to God. But instead of claiming to be the only begotten Son, as the New Testament uh, Gospel of John will later insist he reveals that it is you who are the children of God. Let us resolve as members of the Christian faith to be open to hearing God speak through other voices. No. And as we preach the gospel message, let us... No, God does not speak through other voices. No, no, no. This man is pointing you to Satan. And I'm being generous. Instead, listen to the voice of Jesus Christ from the men who walked and talked and ate and slept and fished with him, who sat under his feet and can tell you what Jesus actually said. We do not want to listen to other voices. Those other voices will turn you away from Jesus Christ. For Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except for through him. Jesus said, I am from above, you are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins unless you believe that I am the one I claim to be. You will die in your sins. That is from John chapter 8, verse 24. The Bible is exclusive from beginning to end because Jesus truly is the God who spoke to Moses in the burning bush. 
he said that I am. And he toppled the gods of Egypt, punished the gods of the Ammonites, the Moabites, and all the other Hittites, Uptites, and Balletites. Sorry, I don't know all the tights. Do not listen to other voices. Listen to the voice of Jesus Christ. He is the only voice that you can trust. He is the only one who has died and risen from the dead. His voice is true. His credentials are sure. He is the only way to eternal life. The other religions will lead you to hell because he said so. And when Elaine Pagels raises herself from the dead and shows that she has better credentials than Jesus Christ, then I'll believe her. As for this Gnostic gospel of Thomas, this is Gnosticism. This is not Christianity. Gnosticism is the arch enemy of the one true God, and only Satan is the one who promotes doctrines such as these. Anyway, I got myself worked up. If you would like to uh, email me and let me know how close-minded I am and how God can be found in all these other religions, uh, you can do so. Talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. Let's talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. Until tomorrow, Lord bless you. Mm-hmm.